Jesus moves from speaking about and warning us against having any love for money, not being totally devoted to God, not storing up for ourselves treasures on earth, this strong either-or position You cannot serve both God and money. And the next word that we read is a connecting word. Therefore, there is something about striving for success and security that in the eyes of Jesus leads us into a place where we are worrying, where we are not truly trusting the Lord. As we said last night, Jesus said that three things would cause people to be unprepared for his return. Love of pleasure, love of material possessions, and the anxieties of life. And three times in these verses, verses 25 through 34, Jesus addresses the anxieties of life and says, Do not worry. Do not worry. He tells us, Do not worry about your life. And in particular, he applies that to our external concerns, our nourishment, our clothing our residence, those things that give us a sense of physical adequacy and security. We would think of those things as basic human needs. I need these things. Life is indispensable without them, and yet Jesus said to us, Do not worry about those things. He said, do not worry about your physical needs and your physical welfare. Underscoring what he had said previously, your father knows that you need these things. And then he said, do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about the future. Well, Jesus... That's a whole lot easier said than done. I wonder if Jesus was ever prone to worry. It's easier said than done, and it seems reasonable, it seems prudent, that we should have some degree of worry in our lives. Concern about tomorrow and the future and making adequate preparations. So what does Jesus want us to gain from what he is saying to us? When you look at these applications that Jesus makes concerning worry, we find three things. Number one, Jesus equates worry with little faith. And particularly, little faith in this relationship with God as our Father. And he says in verse 30, 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Your father knows if he takes care of the plants of the field, won't he take care of you? Jesus is equating worry with not trusting God's relationship with us as our Heavenly Father. Not trusting God's relationship with us as a Father who truly knows, who truly cares, and who deeply loves us. When I am prone to worry, I am questioning God's commitment to me. Well, I need to hear that one. I need to be reminded of it. Because I am very prone to worry. And yet I know that I don't need to question God's relationship with me. The second thing is, Jesus equates worry with a pagan mindset. Ouch. So if I worry... It's as though I am a pagan, a heathen. I don't know about God. I have no relationship with God. My spiritual understanding is dead. I'm a pagan. And Jesus said, The pagans run after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. It's very much, very obviously a picture there between the perspective that is set on the heavenly and the perspective that is set on the earthly. The pagans are running after these things here on earth, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. In other words, to worry about the things that everyone else worries about is to act as though we have no God who is in a covenant relationship with us. Who truly loves and cares for us. And the third thing that Jesus said is to equate worry with distraction from the kingdom of life. But seek first his kingdom and righteousness. And then he followed that in verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. In one sense he is gathering all that he said together with that final emphasis, therefore do not worry about tomorrow. But he is also setting our hearts and our minds on something that is far beyond tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Your concern needs to be eternity. Don't be wrapped up with the details of this life. Be concerned and be overly concerned with the kingdom and with righteousness. It's a re-emphasis of that two-master principle that Jesus gave to us earlier. You cannot serve both God and mammon. 
Either you hate one and love the other, or you love and you hate. And he's re-emphasizing that. Seek, strive for, first, before everything else, his kingdom and his righteousness. One last thought for you. The word righteousness that Jesus uses here is really cool. It has about five parts to it. And when you look at this word, it's a beautiful theological progression. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. The first meaning is investiture with the attribute of righteousness. Acceptance as righteous. Justification. Remember that the Apostle Paul emphatically declared that there is no one who is righteous before God. I will never be acceptable in God's sight because of my own righteousness. I need the investiture of the attribute of righteousness, Christ's righteousness. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. I need the imputation of Christ's righteousness in my life. And I need to seek not to be righteous by my own merits, but to be righteous through the work of Jesus Christ. The second meaning for that word righteous, as Jesus uses, uses it here, is piety. I mentioned the word piety on Sunday morning. It's a word that might be more familiar to past generations than to I or ours, and we would tend to look at it in the same category as legalism. But it's not. It means to be devoted. A pious person has spiritual disciplines in their lives because they are devoted. They are devoted to the prayer closet. They are devoted to reading and meditating upon the Word of God. The man of Psalm 1 was a pious man, a devoted man to the Word of God. It means characterized by godliness and devotion, godly practice and devoted living. So seek first his righteousness to be imputed to your life and then a life that is devoted to following and serving him. The third meaning is one that would be much more thought of by us. The definition of integrity and value. The fourth meaning is something that Jesus has spoken of as he has taken us through this Sermon on the Mount. It's justice in relationships with other people, being fair and equitable, doing unto others as we would have them do unto you. And then the fifth meaning of this word righteous, as Jesus uses it here, 
is something again that he's already talked about that the father looks to be exhibited in private as evidence that we have a true relationship with him and that is generosity and almsgiving to those who are poor those are the five dimensions of this word righteousness that Jesus uses it begins with getting his righteousness as my justification and then it's demonstrated outwardly by him seeing that I give in secret and am generous to those who do not have. My thought was, as I looked at this word and as I studied it, wow, if I really focused on what Jesus was saying, I wouldn't have much time left for worrying. I thought of the words that God spoke to Joshua as he began his leadership, which are so like the words of Psalm 1. Joshua, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you will be prosperous and successful. And then in words that really echo the words of Jesus here, which could have been summed up as, okay, Joshua, do not worry. God went on to say to him, therefore, be of good courage and do not be dismayed. And so it's interesting to me that whether we hear the words of God spoken to Joshua in the Old Covenant or the words of Jesus spoken to us in the New Covenant, it's with the same emphasis Set your heart fully on me. If you set your heart on other things, it's going to be in the wrong place. You won't sense the fullness and sufficiency of my relationship with you. You will live as people who have no understanding and no knowledge of me. And you will miss what's most important in eternity. Therefore, he said, take no thought about your life. May the Lord help us to truly seek first and to seek exclusively. May the Lord help us to have our hearts and our minds fully set on the things that matter for eternity and trust everything else to our Heavenly Father. Amen. So let's look to him in prayer. Again, as we did last evening, we need to hear the words of Jesus. Watch and pray that you won't be overtaken with the anxieties of life and not be ready for my return. Well, let's watch and pray that we aren't overly concerned with this life, but we are overly concerned with his kingdom and his return. <laughs>